Welcome to the Iconic Women by Icon Group podcast. In this podcast series, our talented women and guests share their inspiring stories of chasing opportunities, overcoming challenges, and living an iconic life. Michelle Kasimhoy is a clinical pharmacist at Slade Pharmacy. She currently works at Thomas Embling Hospital, a secure forensic mental health facility. From developing a pharmacist-formulated oatmeal cream to performing as a concert violinist, Michelle is a woman of many talents. Thank you so much for joining me on the Iconic Women podcast. It's really nice to have you today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. So, so, can you tell us a little bit about your role at Icon Group? Yeah, so currently I'm a clinical pharmacist at Thomas Embling Hospital in Melbourne, um, in Victoria, which is a secure forensic mental health facility. Um, I've been in this role for about 11 years. Um, the hospital provides services for patients with serious mental illness across the Victorian justice system and the community. Uh, there are many high-profile criminal cases that where, where the patients have to serve out their custodial sentence here. So, you know, we're bound by the confidentiality in this in this institution, but it's one of the most interesting positions I've had in my career so far. So can you tell us a little bit more about your day-to-day activities, Michelle? It's a bit of a a flexible role. Uh, You have to be quite, you know, willing to sort of do a bit of everything. I mean, there's clinical pharmacy, there's, it's sort of like ward pharmacy, I would say, um, on on a very big scale. You know, you've got 125 patients, or roughly 120 patients. You do clinical um, medication order reviews. Uh, there's obviously there's the impress side or supply issue side to it. There's patient interaction or patient education, clinical drug monitoring. So it's sort of very clinically based. And how is it working with? you know, criminal cases and things like that. How does like every role, I think it's not for everybody. You really have to be able to I think all all disciplines here, you know, there's there's obviously multidisciplinary, you've got doctors, you've got psychologists, nurses. And I think everybody has to have a little bit of a bit of a bit of detachment from it. Quite if you feel quite judgmental or very you know, sort of um, affected by what's, you know, behind the case. You, you, it's not really the place for you. There's a part of you that does have to sort of switch off and be very business, business-like about it in a way. I think, you, you know, you find that a lot of the staff are, are very similar. It's definitely it's definitely not for everyone. There's people, there's other pharmacists that have come out here and have said, look, you know, I can't do it again. It's, yeah. you know, really too much. It's just, you know, too confronting so I think it's just, you know, whether you can really sort of switch off from that other side of it and yeah. and, and sort of treat it really like, um, you know, just like work and, and applying your professionalism in the best way that you can. Mm, yeah, because I can see how that could be very mentally draining to someone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, it's quite, I mean, some people always, you know, the first thing people say to me, oh, is it, is it scary? I said, it's definitely not scary. I think it's more sad. It's, you know, mm-hmm. quite tragic, uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the cases that you see. There's a lot of background behind it. People just, you know, the automatic thing in the news is that people are just bad and, you know, things happen. But in actual fact, there's a lot of a long story about how a patient comes to this hospital. It's not just, you know, that they've done something terrible. And I mean, mm-hmm. of course, there's, there's, there's that element of it. But a lot of the time, there's a, a big, long uh, history that has led to the patient being admitted here, and then you know the longer you work here, you actually realise this other side of 
um, humanity. You know, that's actually it's actually not as black and white as you as you would think. You know, especially you sensationalising the media and that kind of thing. It's it's definitely not as as simple as that. Of course, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Mm. So, Michelle, going back to taking a trip down memory lane, what did you want to be when you were little? Well, I actually wanted to be a concert violinist <laughs> from from childhood, I think. I mean, that was, you know, the sort of thing that I really wanted. And, and obviously, you know, it's not ideal. And, and being older now, I realise a lot of the things, like why my parents actually said, you know, that's not really a good idea. <laughs> it's not, probably not the best, probably not the best thing, not the most secure thing. And But that was probably my dream. And I think that's always been, you know, what I, what I actually really wanted to do. But sort of, being a bit of a sort of, you know, from from a, a nerdy Asian family, <laughs> I'm allowed to say something like that, that, you know, it was sort of a very academic-driven childhood, which I'm grateful for now. Um, yeah, that, yeah. You know, and, and that's sort of what led me into, you know, pharmacy path, really. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, look, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. <laughs> parent upbringing. That's right. <laughs> So along those lines, so then you so you went into pharmacy from that academic level. So can you tell me a little bit more about your career path? Yeah, well, I actually started my traineeship at um, Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, um, and after qualifying there, I actually stayed. I actually stayed on at Peter Mac for another fifteen years and became an oncology, a senior oncology pharmacist at that time. But during that time, I actually I actually did audition for my Bachelor of Music degree at the Victorian College of the Arts during that time. And I actually got in, which was, which I was sort of surprised myself. I think I almost wanted to do that just to, to show myself I could do it. <laughs> um, but I auditioned, and then when I got the acceptance letter, I thought, oh my gosh, I've got a full-time job. What am I going to do? You know. So yeah, I, I literally had to sort of quit that career in a way, and that's how I actually ended up at Icon or Slade. Slade Pharmacy at the time. And yeah, yeah. So literally I, you know, worked at Slade at night. I, I still stayed at Peter Mac part-time and was, you know, a violin student during business hours. So I was actually able wow. to do a bit of everything because of pharmacy. And I think that's where I really appreciated being a pharmacist. It's where I could have the flexibility to work till 10 p.m. or midnight if I wanted and, you know, be at ABC recording symphonies during the day. It was just a really funny double life. Yeah, wow. Um, and, yeah, so that was, it was quite fulfilling because I was able to do a bit of everything at that point and that's sort of where I really appreciated the fact that I could, you know, I could, I had a really good career but I could also pursue my passion at the same time. And then, so, so then you entered into Slade Pharmacy and then how did you sort of progress through Slade? Well, I started off as just a, like a casual pharmacist in the hospital and the retail section. So I, you know, you had to, and I had to sort of just be really. At that time, I just remember having to be on a really steep learning curve. Like you, you just took what work was available, you know. And, and being a student, you had to be really quite, you know, uh, adaptable. And 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 Slade or Icon is actually, you know, a really big company. So you know, it taught me a lot um, because I had to really, you know. Uh, sort of get a lot of skills and in a short period of time and be able to work whenever whenever it was available. So I started off as a casual pharmacist, but then obviously after I finished the degree and and then I sort of came back to the profession full time and that was my crossroads of, you know, what should I, should I, you know, go for a job at Melbourne Symphony or should I 
actually just, you know, continue on in pharmacy. And, and it was just sort of, you know, a, a, what do you choose? But I, I did end up going for the position at Thomas Embling at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of fell into that by accident because, you know, I wasn't really looking for, I didn't really know what I was looking for at that stage. But that position came up and I sort of came, in, came into it by accident um, and it ended up being, you know, a really great career choice for me in the end. Now, obviously, you've got uh, a degree in pharmacy to be a qualified pharmacist. Yes, yes. How much have you learned on the job since being out in the workforce? On the job, you know, learning is, for, for this profession, I think it's just invaluable. Like, it's just, of the things that I've learned, you know, obviously, you know, you do the university degree, and it's like everything, until you actually hands-on, you don't really realise sort of how much there is to learn. It's really just so scratching the surface, that you know, the mm. pharmacology and the, the university part. But I think the first time I really became aware of the importance of what pharmacists do is I, I was working on a palliative care service um, and I witnessed a lot of suffering there, like terrible disease states. Um, and the team there just was really amazing. Like they would stop at nothing to alleviate a patient's pain. Care that really stood mm. out to me. You know, you're often working with extremes, so patients with poor or no vascular access or complete inability to swallow. So this kind of thing. So drug drug delivery in these patients is really near impossible. And so those sorts of extremes forced me to really think and research within my scope as a pharmacist. How how can I help this patient given the limited tools that are available? Um, and even even now, I feel in my current position, you know, I'm facing the same extreme. But forensic mm. psychiatry is some of the uh, society's most outcast people are patients in the hospital, and, and we need to get a like I was saying before, put your personal feelings aside, um, and just try and provide a top quality um, pharmaceutical service, really. So, and, and as I was saying before, I think in both cases it doesn't suit everybody, um, mm. you know, at, at all in, in both sorts of cases. So I think you know a lot of the, the clinical things that I've learned have mainly been within the hospital setting. Just um, you know, most of those skills. Um, and how to how to deal with real real problems that uh, that face patients in terms of mm. medication management has been learned in the hospital. So along those lines, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of your job? Knowing that you have the skills, you know, in your in in this bank that I have of almost twenty years now. I can't believe it. You know, twenty years of pharmacy of seeing patients and, and problem solving with medication. Like seeing someone who's in pain or discomfort or that has a condition and that you can actually recommend something that will actually turn that around. I think that's the most rewarding. Just being able to help people in a, in a real way. Like someone will come back and say, you know, I felt so terrible and today I'm so much better and that's because of the knowledge that you've Absolutely. been able to impart, yeah, and something that you've actually tangibly been able to give to somebody to say, okay, you can take this, do this, and it actually, and they, you know, sometimes overnight they can say, look, I feel so much better. But that's, that's just, you know, worth a million dollars. Yeah, it's immediately wanting yeah. a real yeah. for someone. Michelle, what would you say were the defining moments in your career? One, one thing that's sort of quite recent, and I think that, as I was saying, you know, I've been qualified for 20 years and a lot of things don't really materialise until you become really experienced. And um, a colleague and I, um, Carson, Carson Al, he's also a pharmacist at Slade mm-hmm. or Icon, 
Um, we actually invented a new oatmeal cream called Oat Fever. I mean, it's like a high-performance um, moisturiser, pharmaceutical, pharmacist-formulated, right from scratch, but that we, you know, did from raw materials. And some early research into the use of oatmeal for a rash caused by one of the particular chemotherapy agents um, and radio radiation burn and you know so it was that sort of thing of look you know what what now we've got all these skills that we've you know accrued over all this time and that we actually realise we can actually do something that's really unique and different we've sort of taken a bit of the the old um, pharmacy skills of you know compounding and formulation and, and brought it to you know, something something that's new and, and so, you know, we actually entered our invention into um, the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia's annual shark tank competition yeah. um, in 2018 and we were selected as finalists to go to Sydney to present our idea. So, you know, that, that sort of passion for helping, I think that was a real, uh, one of the one of the defining moments for sure because, you know, we thought, you know, we thought, you know, we've come up with this idea and we've seen people, you know, with problems and, and, and we've actually, you know, sort of launched this product from scratch. So I feel that's a reflection of, of my career in a way. Can I just ask about this pharmacy shark tank? So how many, do you know how many people enter a year? What does it look like? It's a nationwide um, competition. So the pharmaceuticals, like every time they have, they have the yearly conference, PSA, you know, and, and the whole country, goes to Sydney, it's usually in Sydney, and it's, you know, the, the, pharma, the conference for pharmacists really, like the industry, one of the industry conferences, and they started this new program where it was like, you know, you, you bring a pharmaceutical idea to the table, um, and you, you, you submit your idea, and you, you know, they, they choose three finalists out of mm. the whole country who, yeah, um, you know, and then you, you go up there and you pitch your idea, just like the television program, yeah. you know, and then they assign, you know, certain funds to your project. It was quite a turning point in that, but, and it, it, it was a nationwide thing, and I think they, they, they did it again this year, so that was the 2018 one, but yeah. it's, a, it's an annual, an annual competition, I and mean, it's usually funded by a drug company, you know, where there's allocated funds for you to, to actually develop your project. Mm, yeah, right. Mm. Oh, now, I believe that you've also been a volunteer pharmacist on the mobile cardiology service, um, Heart of Australia. Can you yes, tell me a little yes. bit more about that, Michelle? Yeah, so that was something that another colleague of, of mine and I, Alana, who was also at Slave Pharmacy. So Slave Pharmacy is great for all icon. It's great for all these connections. You know, you, yeah. you have all these colleagues that come up with these ideas. But basically, you know, we, we've got, we've volunteered as, as pharmacists on, um, on that service. So Heart of Australia, I don't know if everyone's heard of it, but it was a service that's set up by a cardiologist, is Dr. Um, Ralph Gomes, and he basically was wanting to take cardiology services to patients living in rural areas, and he's from Queensland, and so he basically set up this special mobile semi-trailer truck, and it had been fitted out with state-of-the-art cardiology equipment. And he, you know, he has a, a fleet of drivers and cardiac technicians and other doctors that, are, and, and basically they visit patients who are in, you know, really rural towns that are so far from the big cities. And he, he can actually, you know, do cardiology consults on, on a rotating roster. So, you know, he, he, he would visit and then he would come back again in a few months and, and these patients would get the same care that they're getting in the big cities, and that's what he really wanted. He says, well, why should these patients miss out because of, of distance? And 
So, you know, and the, the, the tour, it goes to towns such as St. George, uh, Dolby, Winton, Longreach, so really remote, you know, and, um, and so Alara and I followed this truck and, you know, we were sort of talking to patients about, we were doing medication reviews and explaining the new cardiology medicines to patients, you know, on this, on this tour. And it was an amazing experience. Again, it was just like that sort of getting back and talking to these people who were just, Everything you gave them, they were grateful for. You know, it was it was a really great experience. You know, anything you offered them, they were just you know they were just so happy to to receive you know this care. And someone was taking an interest in their healthcare. Um, but it was a really eye opening experience to to be able to give back. And so it was one week where we where we were really sort of you know providing pharmacy services uh, for that. For those communities um, on that truck, it was amazing. It was really good. Very hot, <laughs> like you know, 40, 45 degrees or forty, you know, the entire time. And you know, we were sort of you know out there sort of trying not to get you know sunburned when we're talking about you know cardiac meds and that kind of thing. But it was a really yeah amazing experience. Yes. Yeah. So have, outside from this, have you spent any time in that pharmacy role in rural or regional areas? No, I actually haven't. I think the only time I did do a short, you know, like a, a locum something was, was in Malacuta and that was near when I first qualified. And then, and again, I think that, that kind of community thing, like, you know, the pharmacist in, in that kind of setting is, is really important. It's somebody that mm-hmm. they really rely on. And I mean, it's, it's always been enjoyable every time I've done anything like that. Um, but I haven't done, I probably should, you know, look into more of that kind of thing. <laughs> Would you do this volunteer work again in the future, Michelle? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I could never rule out anything. We didn't know what to expect. I remember coming back, flying back to Melbourne from from the middle of nowhere, just and we were just saying, well, where were we? <laughs> you know, what did we just do? You know, so it's a it's a real eye opening. You know, you you get as much out of it as you know patients do, and I'd definitely do it again. I 100% would you know would absolutely do that again. You've been touching on connections that you've made within Slade Pharmacy and Icon. In your opinion, what is it like working with such a big company? Icon and Slate has been one of the most interesting places to work. It's it's never boring. It's never the same thing every day. There's there's still drugs that I see that I've got no idea. You know, so you're always learning, and that's what I love about the company. It's it's a large company, and there's always new cases, new new drugs. Everything's just always very dynamic. Mm. Uh, I know some positions in certain places. They can be quite static and they, they're not, you know, they, they sort of stay the same and roughly every day. But Icon, I find with, with Slade Pharmacy, it's, it's just a very unusual place to work. It's always interesting. It's always turning over. A, a really a very challenging place, um, but very stimulating, mentally stimulating company to work for. Yeah, which always keeps you on your toes, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, even after all this time, I find that I'm still learning something there. You yeah. know, uh, on my shifts there, I, I don't think I can ever say, "Oh, yeah," you know, I walk in and, and not really think about what I'm doing. You, know, you, you always have to be on the ball, which is great. It just keeps you, you know, on on the edge, on the top of your game, really. Yeah. So, what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced when pursuing your career goals, Michelle? A lot of challenges I found. It, earlier in my career were were a lot 
different phase to now. I mean, I found that being a young pharmacist, that was quite challenging. I think it's literally one one day you're a trainee, the next day you're a pharmacist. That's what it's like. You know, one, one day someone's sort of mentoring you and then the next day you sign the register and then you ca- you carry it from that day on. And mm-hmm. I think that realisation I found was, was quite... When I actually opened my eyes and realised that, I thought that's... Actually, there was so much more to learn. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it's so fast-paced if you're, say, for example, working in a very busy retail pharmacy or, or a hospital dispensary. You, you can always be one step away from an error, and that was quite mm. frightening. It, it's just the slip of the hand and, and you've, you know, you've made a dispensing error. So the ultimate responsibility carried by the pharmacist, that was quite daunting. I think that was quite a daunting realisation to sort of actually come to terms with and say, actually, you know what, you know, this is really, it can be sort of, you know, uh, the tipping point is, is very fine as a pharmacist. Yeah, yeah it's a big responsibility. So yeah. what, would you, what, would, what advice would you give to a pharmacist just starting out? The first thing that I would say is just that there's so much more to learn and I think that the misconception when you finish a course and the traineeship is very intense. It's a very intense intern year, and and you think that you know the, the the automatic thing is that you're done, you know. But the thing is that's just the start, and you just always have to realise um, you you don't know what you don't know, and that's the frightening part. There's just so much unknown in pharmacy. There's not always somewhere to check or to, to look it up, you know, straight away. There's so many unknowns in the profession. I always have an open mind to, you know, something. Because I think it's very easy to think, okay, I've, I've finished all the training, I'm ready. And in actual fact, it's so far off that. So if you weren't doing this, or you didn't choose pharmacy, what did you think you'd be doing, other than concert violinist? It would be probably something artistic. I mean, you know, I think in the end, the older you get, you realise what sort of personality you have, <laughs> whether you can <laughs> sort of give it all away to something creative or, you know, do something with security. And I, I, I still think it would have been a classical musician. I, you know, that's probably what I would have really aspired to. I think, And yet I don't have any regrets of my choice. I think, you know, pharmacy's been, a, it's, I've had a great career in pharmacy. It's, it's been so, so good. It's probably better than I actually anticipated, especially when I first qualified. Do you often still pick up the violin? Oh, yeah, no, it's always there. Um, it's definitely always there. Um, you know, in, in the old days, I did more performing overseas and here, but I think now it's just sort of mellowed out. <laughs> I, I, I want to see myself pick it up a bit more, actually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Michelle, who has been the biggest influence in your career? I'll probably have to say my parents because it's, I think, especially for this career, I think it's just that the work ethic, the, the perfection, and just seeing things through. You know, my parents always said to me, you know, you, you don't do anything halfway, and, and I feel like I'm like that with my career. It's just, you know, you put in, put in everything. And as I said, that, that relentless drive, you know, just to be really, really good at what you do. I think that's from my mum and dad. I'd have to say it's from my parents. It, it's always been their drive to do, when, when it's gotten really difficult or when I ever thought, oh gosh, it's just too hard, you know, mum and dad, I think, have always been the ones that have said to me, no, 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 you keep going. And so they've been quite inspiring that way, I think. I'd have to say my parents. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been anyone that you've worked with along the way that has really inspired you? A couple of 
really senior pharmacists, I think when I was when I was younger, mm. who were real experts in their field. And I remember just thinking, you know, I, I want to I want to be like that, you know. And, and it just takes time. Um, but I think there were a lot of, there were a couple of pharmacists in public, like in St Vincent's. I remember working with them, um, and they were you know, senior pharmacists, and I remember just thinking, gosh, you know, just the, the bank of knowledge that mm-hmm. that has just literally just off the top of their head, I thought, oh, gosh, I'll, I'll, I could never be like that. And and then over time, you you know, you sort of develop your own skills. You know, the younger pharmacists do look up to the the, the ones that are more experienced, and I, I definitely felt that, you know, the, the senior pharmacists were, were always the mentors when I was a younger, a younger student or younger pharmacist. Would there be anything that you would change along the way or when you started to where you are now? I actually, I actually don't think so, career-wise. A lot of the things happened by accident. In pharmacy, I've been really lucky. A lot of the things just came along at the right time. I've, I've never really been in something, you know, a position that, oh, I've got to hate this position. Or, you know, I've never, I've never actually really felt that about pharmacy. I think w- when I was quite young, I did feel a little bit jaded by it because I, I sort of didn't know, I, I wasn't an expert at anything and it was just, you know, I thought, oh God, this is just, you know, so difficult. But I actually, I've, I've been quite lucky that way. I don't think I can say that uh, I've changed anything um, for my career. What's been the most difficult thing in your career? I know we sort of talked about those challenges, but is there anything, is there a particular moment that maybe stuck out to you that uh, was something difficult to overcome? It, I mean, it's, it's usually cases, and I think the thing that stirred up stirred it up a little bit now with this conversation about euthanasia. You know, just um, mm-hmm. it's all in the news, and I do remember one one lady in particular, uh, and she she was only about under forty, like a young a young patient, and you know, I'd, I'd do my ward rounds and go in there and. And I remember sitting on her bed talking to her, and she, and she held my hand, and she said to me, "You know, I I just want this, I want this to be finished. I can't. I'm in so much pain." Mm-hmm. And and we did, you know, we did this, you know, the drug orders, and and it was literally like, you know, it was, it was you know, one gram of phenobarbitone. And I remember drawing it up and and making this, and the, and the next day she slipped away, you know, and, and and those sorts of those sorts of moments. There were there were a lot of those moments. In there, and and you know, it wasn't really spoken about properly, but they were they were very poignant moments. I look back and, and know that that we helped those people still still within our legal limits, of course. But yeah, it was never spoken about. So I feel that that was quite that, they were quite difficult moments. You, you see people's raw suffering. That's quite confronting, and and even in this current position now, you know, I, I see patients. That, that can't even have lunch with their parents without mm-hmm. an, an escort or an, like a nurse escort. Or that, that's very confronting. We take it for granted that I can go home and say, visit my mum and dad and, and not have to work. You know, there's, there's adult patients here in their 50s that, that can't even have a meal with their family. So those sorts of extremes that, you know, we take things for granted every day. But in, in these sorts of situations, you do you do get you know you do feel you do feel that you you know it is quite emotional sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds sounds extremely confronting. Uh, we touched on you know what advice you would give to a young pharmacist in particular, but what advice would you give to any other aspiring iconic women out there? Perseverance, I think. I think when you're when you're trying to achieve anything, whether it's 
you know, whatever you're trying to achieve. And what I've found is that people that can tend to try and bring you down, I think, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, that, that someone will try and criticise you or tell you that, or if this is not quite right or that's not quite right. And sometimes I think, you you know, you need to take those things on board and then not really, and not really, um, I'm not saying to not listen to them, but I think you sort of have to try and just keep your focus when you're when you're working through your life. Because I think there's a lot of people that can say to you, oh, that's not quite, you know, oh, I wouldn't be doing that or, you know, sort of, and, and you can really, it can really stop you from progressing. Mm. So I think, you know, to try and be really sort of mentally strong and say, okay, look, that's fine, but to press on, um, to really persevere and have a bit of self-belief, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Michelle. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to ask you some really quick five questions to end mm-hmm. the podcast for today. So what book are you reading at the moment? Well, I'm actually reading The End of the Affair by Graham Greene at the moment. So, I mean, I love classic literature. That's my thing. And I just think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a short read, but it's something that, you know, a lot of us can identify with like, these terrible emotions that are explored in that book, like, you know, romance has gone wrong or inner conflicts and jealousy. So it's very a short read but quite again quite it's quite in depth. Yeah. Are you quite a prolific reader, Michelle? Look, I, I, not as much as I, I'd like to be. It's just it's always time constraints. <laughs> but um but you know no classic literature is sort of always the first pick if I can could you know sort of choose anything. Can you name an iconic woman that you would like to have a girls weekend with? Oh, well, there's there's so many, but I think one one that stands to mind. I think, like you know, that I, I saw this amazing documentary about was Emily Roebling, and she was the wife of the engineer who built the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, and um, you know, she was from the 1800s, so she was a real pioneer for her time, and in, in, in especially in terms of being a highly educated female. You know, during the construction of the bridge, she followed him, her husband, to the site, and was involved in all the engineering and structural negotiations. So that was a huge thing for a, a woman in the 1800s. Um, and, and when, you know, her husband passed away, she was the one who actually, you know, who really was instrumental in ensuring that bridge was really complete to what we have, you know, today. And so I actually remember walking across that bridge on one of my travels and it was, and it was quite an amazing moment, amazing moment, just looking back and, and when you know the story behind it. But... I think, you know, she, for someone like that, uh, and in that time, in that era, mm. that's an amazing feat. She sounds incredible. I haven't, I haven't heard that story. Yeah, have... you must look it up. <laughs> you must look it up. Mm. Uh, if you had a spirit animal, what would it be and why? It would have to be a cat, even though I don't think I'm like a cat. <laughs> but I think, like, I mean, you know, my first real pet was a cat, and, you know, that I've had her for almost 10 years, and... Yeah. Like when I lost her, I, it was like losing family. I mean, I know you hear about this in a pet loss is, yeah. you know, but when you go through it, it's terrible. And it's I actually, you know, I used to talk to her every day, you know, and, <laughs> and the first thing I noticed when she was gone was like how much conversation I'd be having with my cat, but if I live alone, you know, so but suddenly I was at home without this sounding board. It was a really strange realisation. Yeah. yeah, no, your pets play such an important role. Yeah, like you just don't realize. Like when you hear stories, but when you're in it, and then yes. you know, you, you know, you, that when you lose them, it's it's just very traumatic. Yeah. Do you have a pet at the moment, Michelle? No, I haven't been able to bring myself to, to do it again. It's just you know, like I held her when they gave the injection, and it was just, oh, it was just you know, terrible. I don't, I don't know. I've, 
haven't quite recovered from that. There was only a couple yeah. of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it takes some time. Yeah. Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? I've got a few, but I'd have to say John Fluvog's shoe. That's $400 a pair. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a few pairs, but yeah, that, that's definitely a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, a little bit of retail therapy. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And last question, Michelle, what would your last meal be? A full work that glossy Florentino. <laughs> nice. Good catch. <laughs> yeah, go all out, you know, completely. Yeah. yeah. Full degustation, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Well, that's the end of our podcast today, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure um, and really insightful getting to know your role in pharmacy. It's really oh, it's really interesting what you do. Yeah, thanks so much, Alicia. Actually, it's really funny about sort of bringing it all together. I look back and go, oh, that's, that's you know, there's, there's been quite a lot there to, to, to sort of, there's a big story there to tell. Yeah, yeah, you've covered quite a lot of ground. All right, well, okay. thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks a lot, Alicia.